If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, and I want you just to hold your spot there. We're going to move around a little bit this morning, but uh, really through this whole series that we've been in called Praying Like Jesus Says, we've been in Matthew chapter 6, looking at the, uh, the components of what we call the Lord's Prayer. And uh, it's really in two different passages of Scripture, as I've mentioned before. It's in Luke 11, kind of like excer- excerpts of it. And then Matthew 6 is kind of the full-blown version that we're <clears throat> accustomed to and that you may be more familiar with, Matthew chapter 6. And so that's what we've been focusing on, looking at the, uh, the topic of prayer. Now, now, here's the interesting thing, that in Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer falls into a bigger uh, context. It, it, really, in those, five, those three chapters, Matthew 5 through 7, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And those three chapters, if you've got a red-letter Bible, then all three of those chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, are all in red. I mean, it's Jesus speaking, uh, one of the biggest, longest discourses that we read of in the Gospels of Him. And, uh, and so the Sermon on the Mount is where we read the Lord's Prayer. And in the midst of that, when He's talking about life, and He's talking about the kingdom of God, and He's talking about uh, uh, love, and He's talking about adultery, and He's talking about uh, not judging people, and He's talking about prayer, all through those three chapters on the Sermon on the Mount, a lot of other topics too, we find dropped right in there, almost right in the middle, this section that we call the Lord's Prayer. And it was in response to Jesus being asked by his disciples, or one of them at least, asked him, Lord, teach us to pray, right? John the Baptist has his disciples, his followers that he's pouring into, and uh, it's almost this understanding that he taught them how to pray. Would you teach us how to pray? They'd seen Jesus pray, they'd heard Jesus pray, and they asked him to teach them. And his response was to lay out for us this passage of Scripture that we call the Lord's Prayer. Now, don't miss this fact that we didn't have access to God, just an open-ended access to Him. We lost that access to God all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. And when you were born, whether it was here in this city, maybe you were born in Memorial, or you were born in Candler, or like the old Candler Telfair, or some other city, wherever you were born, you weren't born with just this magical access to God. Yes, He knew you, and yes, He knew the plans for your life, and yes, he loved you, but you didn't have automatic access to God. Why? Because we've sinned. The good news is that God didn't leave us in that state. When Adam and Eve sinned back in Genesis 3, when we committed our own sin, and that access to God was broken, (laughs) he loved us so much, man, he sent his own son, Jesus, to die. And when he died on the cross, and when he rose from the dead, he paved the pathway for us not just to have a relationship with God and forgiveness of sins, but he also paved the pathway for us that when we pray, dear Father, when we have a relationship with God uh, uh, through Jesus, that he hears our prayers. And so where we once lacked access to God, now we have access to God if we have a relationship with Jesus. And that's something we want to take advantage of. That's something that we want to enjoy. That's something that we want to not let dry up. We don't want to uh, let it become negligent, a negligent part of our Christian life. We want to engage God ultimately in prayer. Now, here's the thing. In in the book of Luke, whenever Luke gives us his version of of the Lord's Prayer, listen to what Luke says. You don't have to turn there, but just listen to his, his version, what he says at the very beginning of Luke chapter 11. It says, it happened while Jesus was praying in a certain place that after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, and then he starts 
the Lord's Prayer. Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And he kind of gives his excerpts of the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said, when you pray. Matthew doesn't include that statement. It's not contradictory. Uh, Matthew just didn't include it. But Luke's version says that Jesus made the comment, when you pray. In other words, he expects us to have conversation with him. Why on earth would we not, if we were once denied access to the Father because of our sin, if we were once in a place where we didn't have a relationship with God, we were in darkness, we were lost, we were outside the promises of God, and then suddenly God brought us into relationship. He didn't do that because we were good enough. He didn't do that because we joined a church. He did that by his grace. We didn't deserve it. We still don't deserve it. He, he sent his son to die for us to have access to him. If it, all of that was enacted, why would we not have, re, have a conversation with God that is vibrant, that is ongoing, right? Jesus understands that we should be in conversation with God. And he says, when you pray, it's expected. When you pray, he says, this is how I want you to pray. So let's go ahead and jump in. That's kind of the backstory a little bit. Let's go ahead and jump in. Matthew chapter 6 We've been looking at this passage every single week. If you weren't familiar with it before, you're becoming more and more familiar with it now. Matthew chapter 6, let's read what we call the Lord's Prayer, or more rightly so, the disciples' prayer. So Jesus begins, Matthew 6, verse 9, he says, Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And the verse that we're focusing on specifically today as we move slowly through the Lord's Prayer is verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. That's what we're focusing on today. So I'm going to give you two principles this morning. I hope you'll jot both of those down. They're both equally as important. The first one is this, that at the heart of this part of the Lord's Prayer where Jesus tells us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. At the very heart of that part of the Lord's Prayer, wrapped up in all of that, is this understanding that we have to be at a place where we trust God alone as our provider. At the very heart of this request, when Jesus says, pray in this way, give us this day, give us today our daily bread, wrapped up in that, at the very heart of that request, is this understanding that our trust must be in God alone, ultimately, as our provider. That's what he's getting at. He's getting at this trust. Now, everything that we have is from God, every single thing, everything you've got, whether it's your house, whether it's a boat, whether it's the clothes on your back, whether it's the food in your pantry, whether it's some possession, whether regardless, whatever you have, ultimately, comes from God. Look at how James describes this. In the book of James, Jesus' half-brother, in his book, in James chapter 1, verse 17, listen what James says. He says, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. James tells us, Scripture teaches us that every single thing that we have, ultimately, every good gift is from the Father. So just think for a second, what kind of good stuff do I have? What are some of the good things that you have in your life? Those didn't come primarily because of your hard work. 
They didn't come because you've got a connection with somebody who gave you that gift or they kind of got you into that good blessing. They didn't come primarily because of all that. The, the good things that you have come from what James says, ultimately because we have our Father in heaven who gives us those good things. It's not because of any other reason. Ultimately, they've been given to us by a God who fills the role of Father to us if we have a relationship with Him through God. So everything you have is from God. Every single thing, and you thank Him for that. But even beyond that, everything you need is going to come from God as well. Everything that you need that you don't have yet. The good stuff you've got comes from God. The stuff that you need that hasn't come yet is going to come from God. If you look in Matthew chapter 6, where we're already camped for the Lord's Prayer, look a little bit further over in that chapter, verse 31. Here's what Jesus says, Matthew 6, 31. He says, do not worry then, saying, and he lists all things that we need. What will we eat? What will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles... He may be speaking one of those who were not Jews by heritage. He he also perhaps is speaking about those who don't have a relationship with God. He says, for the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Here's what Jesus says, verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. And so everything we have is from him. Everything that you need that hasn't come yet is going to come from him. And isn't it interesting that Jesus says right there in Matthew 6, verse 30, uh, verse 33, he says, but the, the, the paradigm here, the kind of the order of this is that you seek his righteousness. You seek him first. Don't seek the stuff. Don't seek the gifts. You seek him. You seek his heart. You seek relationship. You seek the giver. And when you seek him and his righteousness first, then he's going to provide. Why? Because he's the provider. He's going to provide everything that ultimately you need. Seek him first, seek his kingdom, then you get your stuff. Isn't that a lot like the Lord's Prayer where he says, your kingdom come, your will be done. Then he gets to the part about saying, and give us this day our daily bread. When he tells us to pray, Father, give us this day our daily bread, that's the only physical need request in the whole entire Lord's Prayer. Everything else is, is spiritual. It's the only part of the Lord's Prayer that is physical in nature is at this point where he says to pray for God, pray for the Father to give us our daily bread. He gives what we have. He gives what we need. Now, there's a bigger backstory to this. My five for five, if you're not part of our five for five devotions each week. We send those out every single week. Uh, Let us know if you're not on the list. We'd love for you to use them because they are uh, designed to be helpful for you in your walk with God, kind of little video devotionals. The one I did on Monday dealt with manna in the Old Testament, kind of an interesting passage back in Exodus where God's people had been set free from slavery in Egypt and they're wandering through the wilderness. Early on, they begin to think back about how good they had it in slavery. Imagine that. That's how hungry they were. Imagine how good it was for us back in slavery in Egypt when at least we had food on the table. And here we are, God, in this wilderness, and it seems like you brought us out here to die. We don't see a promised land. We don't trust you enough to go take it yet, but it seems like you've just abandoned us. God, we we need some food here. And what does God do? God provides what's called manna. In the Hebrew language, it's pronounced mana, which literally means what is it? You probably used that word before at school lunch back when you were a kid, right? It's like, what is this? I mean, it's early use of the word mana, right? You Hebrew scholar back there in fourth grade. 
what is it? All right, that's what it literally means. And so there they were out in the wilderness, two million strong. God provides. Why? Because he's a provider. Jehovah Jireh, that's one of his Hebrew names, God our provider. He is a father who provides for his people. That's part of his nature. And so they call out to him and he provides this manna. And every morning they would go out and boom, there it was. Wonder bread all over the ground in manna form laying there for them to, 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 to take up as families and to be able to ultimately eat. God gave them parameters. He said, you only have to do this daily. You don't collect for the next day except on day number six. On the Sabbath, you don't need to be out there collecting. And so on day six, collect a double portion. Oh, and by the way, don't try to save it overnight because you don't trust me. You've got to trust me. Remember, wrapped up in this part of the Lord's Prayer where we pray, give us this day our daily bread, wrapped up in that is our trust that God alone is our provider. All the way back in the Old Testament, he says, don't, don't get enough on Tuesday to try to hold you till Wednesday because it's not going to be good. You've got to trust me every single day. Wrapped up in that provision was this whole concept of trust. And what did they do? The Israelite people, they would gather on Tuesday and they'd try to save it over because they didn't really trust him. And the next day it's filled up with worms, kind of like that school lunch, right? And they was, it, was, it was unedible, unedible, inedible, whatever the English word is for that. You couldn't, eat, you couldn't consume it. And it was a reminder for God, not just, man, I'm going to fill your stomachs with what you need because I'm a provider, but it was also a reminder that you've got to trust me and me alone to meet your ultimate needs. And how interesting, by the way, if you read in the book of Joshua, when Moses is off the scene, he's already died, and the people of Israel, they now have a new leader named Joshua, and they're at the verge of the, of the uh, cross of the Jordan River to go in to the Promised Land, and they finally cross the, the, the Jordan River, they go into the Promised Land. How interesting it is that when they enter the promised land, the manna stops. For 40 years, God provided for them, and he provided for them in miraculous fashion. Why? Because he is our provider. And when you face a physical need, and some of you do, I mean, you've got physical needs. I mean, you, you've, got, you've got, some of you are in the midst of hardship right now. You don't know where the funds are going to come from. I'm not talking about to pay for the fancy car. I'm talking about to pay for the place where you live as shelter. You don't know where the funds are going to come from to put food on the table because you're a single parent and you didn't expect to have to be the sole provider for, your, for yourself and for your kids. And what, what God wants you to remember is you're not the sole provider. <laughs> He's the ultimate provider. Some of you are in a place right now where... Man, it helps to know that you can come to a father who loves you and who cares about you, and you can pray, Father, would you give me today my daily bread? And he hears that request, and he ultimately provides for you. But there's a second principle here, not just that wrapped up in this request is God's call for us to trust him and to trust him alone as our provider. But the second principle, I think, is just as important. And the second principle is this, that, that there are a lot of other hungers in life that aren't just physical in nature. Physical's not just the only hunger. I mean, how, how long have you gone without food? Th think in your mind right now. What's the longest you've gone without food? For some of you, maybe, uh, maybe it's, it's a meal. <laughs> 
You missed a meal, right? And your stomach was gnawing on your backbone, and you realize, like, all right, I'm not designed for this. i got to find some food. i got to find it quick. Some of you, you get, Snickers got it right. You get hangry when you don't get enough food, right? You, I mean, it's hungry and angry all at the same time. You get hangry, and you're not a lot of fun to be around. I've got a friend of mine who would, who would willingly admit that. He, he, he has said, when I'm, when I'm hungry, it's not good. This, this guy's in ministry, right? And he doesn't serve here, so I'm not trying to, like, call out one of our own folks. This is a buddy of mine. And uh, some of you, you've been there, right? You know what it's like to be physically hungry. Others of you, you've, uh, maybe you're doing this intermittent fasting thing that's like the big craze, and, and so you felt that physical hunger. Others of you have fasted like spiritually, and you've gone a day, two days, maybe longer, and you felt what that's like when you were just so hungry. Others of you, maybe it was on a mission trip, and you went, and you knew I was going to get like one decent meal a day, and you went back like to your to your bunkhouse or your room, and you, you brought snacks, and you like dug in when nobody's looking into your backpack, you got your snacks out. Why? Because you were hungry. You felt that pain. That's not the only type of hunger. There are other hungers. And yes, I think Jesus is speaking literally about physical provision here. Father, give us today our daily bread. But I think he is also very possibly speaking outside that box of God also fulfilling the other hungers of our life. The woman at the well in John chapter 4 was hungry for fulfillment. When Jesus met her in John 4, she was hungry for fulfillment. When Jesus met Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus had beat it up that tree to get up high enough to see Jesus, when Jesus met Zacchaeus up that tree, Zacchaeus was hungry for relationship. When Jesus met Nicodemus in John chapter 3, ultimately Nicodemus, he had power. And when I'm talking about being hungry for other things in life, I'm not talking about the illegitimate hunger for power, the hunger for wealth. I'm not talking about that stuff. I'm talking about the legitimate hungers. Nicodemus in John 3, he had power and he had wealth and he had religious authority and yet he was still hungry for something more and it wasn't physical. And when Jesus met him at night in John chapter 3, Nicodemus was hungry for truth. When Jesus met the disciples out on the sea and he walks to them on water, these seasoned veteran fishermen were at the end of their rope and their knees were knocking and their teeth were chattering and they thought, this is where, this is where it ends for us. We're going down in this storm, in this boat, and Jesus is nowhere to be seen and our lives are ultimately going to end with our bodies resting on the floor of the Sea of Galilee. This is it. And when Jesus came to them walking on water in the midst of the storm, he met these disciples who were hungry for peace. They were hungry for rest you. When he met Mary and Martha outside the city of Bethany, and they had already stood over the dead body of their brother Lazarus, and they had called for Jesus to come, and Jesus didn't show up on their timetable. When he met them outside the city gates of the city of Bethany, they were hungry for resurrection, for the life of their brother ultimately to be restored. When Jesus met blind Bartimaeus in the book of Mark at the roadside, and he's crying out, Father, or he's crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. He met this man hungry for God's mercy, hungry to ultimately be healed. When Jesus is hanging on a cross between two thieves, he's just a matter of feet away from one of them who ultimately was hungry, crying out to him, Lord, when you get to your paradise, would you remember me? And Jesus said, today, this day, I will remember you in paradise. And ultimately, he met that thief on the cross, hungry for forgiveness, hungry for new life. And just a few days later, when Peter had ultimately blown it, denied Jesus three times and sent him to the cross, 
There's Jesus after the resurrection meeting his follower, his friend, his disciple Peter, who was hungry to be given another chance. And in every single case, all of these people were hungry in a way that was not physical in nature. And in every single case, from Mary and Martha, who saw life, from blind Bartimaeus, who got his sight back and saw mercy, from the disciples who experienced rescue, from Nicodemus to Zacchaeus to the woman at the well, all of them were ultimately filled in their hunger by Jesus, God alone, who can fill and sustain. And so I wonder, man, I just, I can't help but wonder, what are you hungry for? I mean, let's just be honest for a second. I mean, let's, let's get past the fact that you live in a nation where you have every need fairly easily met to a degree, to a degree. Let's just get past the fact that you probably, and I included, have rarely prayed, unless we were praying a recitation of the Lord's Prayer, have rarely prayed, Father, give me today my daily bread. Why? Because there's food in the pantry, Publix is open, there are drive throughs all over this place. Yeah, you got to wait for four and a half hours to get up to the place to get your food, but food is readily available. And let's just be honest, we probably rarely prayed, Father, give us today this daily bread. I got off the phone this week, Friday. First phone call I've ever made into Cuba. Been there five times, never called to there. Called back, never called there. Talked to a friend of mine, David, lives there. Doesn't just work there, he lives there. Radical follower of Jesus, invests his life in churches like ours, assisting them to come into that country to bring the message of the gospel, to bring resources. He tells me how bad it is there. COVID is worse now than it was last year. Teams from the U.S. aren't able to go in, and because of that, funds are not easily and readily made available to them. I said, David, I heard that food is experiencing shortages there. He said, yeah. Staying in line for hours when you get there, there's no guarantee that what you're looking for is going to be on the shelf. It's not as easy as it is here for everybody everywhere. And even though we may have lost sight of what it means to pray every day, Father, today, would you please just give me what I need to sustain? Listen, you are equally as dependent on the provision of your Father, as anybody living in the outskirts of Havana, Cuba, are this very minute, equally as dependent. And yet the same Father who provides and sustains for them because of His love is the same Father who provides for and sustains you. It's not because of your hard work, and it's not because of your wise investing, and it's not because of your great job. It's because you have a Father who feeds you every single day. That's why. So what are you hungry for? It's probably not food. What are you hungry for? Not here, but here. You know, for some of you, you are a lot like that woman at the well. You're just looking for, forget, for fulfillment. <laughs> and 
and you've tried relationships and you've tried success and you're still as unfulfilled as you ever were. For others of you, you're just looking for peace in the midst of your version of a storm. For others of you, you're looking for another chance and it's not a second, it's a third, it's a fifth, it's a tenth because God, I can't believe I'm here again, but I blew it and Lord, would you please just again meet me with your grace. For others of you, you're hungry for something else. And in the same way, we pray, Father, give us today our daily bread that we can eat with our mouths into our bodies. Lord, in the same way, would you also fill this hunger in me that is legitimate? I don't want power and I don't want wealth, God, but there are things in me by virtue of me being dependent on you that if you don't provide, Lord, I'm going to go lacking. Were you hungry today? And isn't it ironic that the only one who can fill your need, that being God, chose to come in the person of Jesus. And when he came, he referred to himself as the bread of life in John chapter 6. How ironic that is when you begin to look at the big picture. And how ironic it is that when he came to this earth, filled with needy, bankrupt people like us, that he chose to be born in a city called Bethlehem in the Hebrew language, Bethlehem, which means house of bread. And how ironic, isn't it, that after he died on the cross to pay for the sacrifice of our sins and rose again, ultimately from the dead and ascended back to the Father. And he says, to remember me through what we call the Lord's Supper. How ironic that a portion of the Lord's Supper is bread. That he says, when you take it, as often as you take it, do this in remembrance of me. Why? Because he is the bread, the only true sustainer of our lives. And for those who have a relationship with him... <laughs> He says, just bring, bring your trust. And whatever your hunger, whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, whether it's spiritual, listen, I will be faithful because I'm your father and I'm your provider to give what you need. And so we pray like he invites us to. Give, Lord, because it all belongs to you. Give us, because I'm not the only bankrupt one here in the room. Lord, we are all collectively in need of you as your creation. You are creator. And so, Lord, give us this day, because, Lord, I've got hungers in my life that aren't physical, that I ultimately can't wait for tomorrow for them to be filled, because, Lord, I just might not make it through my loneliness. I might not make it through my depression. I may not make it through this storm. I may not make it beyond this hurdle in my life. Lord, I am so incredibly hungry for something more and so, Lord, would you just give me this day, not tomorrow, this day. Give us this day our daily bread because, God, we need you. And so Jesus says, just pray it. <laughs> it's not magic. It's not a mantra. But every time you pray it from the heart, if you do it right, you're going to remember that it's all about trust. And by the way, this whole entire book in the first place was written to evoke a response of trust from you towards him. Not just to give knowledge, but to bring about trust towards him. So where are you hungry? Where are you going to fill that hunger to fulfill it? And are you trusting God through Jesus to fill it in a way that only he can. How amazing that he says to bring your request. 
mind-blowing, even more amazing that he hears and that he responds. Let's pray. Heads bowed and eyes closed. No one looking around, heads bowed, eyes closed. I wonder here this morning in this room online, how many may have genuinely given your life to Jesus? You are a follower of Christ. You would say you're a disciple. You've yielded yourself to Jesus, but you would also say, but Brooks, truth be told, I've still got a lot of hungers in my life that are legitimate. I'm not looking for power or wealth, but there are things that I'm hungry for. I'm hungry for peace. I'm hungry for life. I'm hungry for relationship. I'm hungry for what only God can provide. And I wonder how many, maybe even you, would be willing to say, you know what, Lord, I've gone looking in all the wrong places to try to fulfill those hungers in my life, to try to quench those thirsts. But today, Lord, I choose to stop my search and I choose to ask you as my Father who is holy and powerful, who loves me as your own child. I choose to come to you, Lord, and I choose through Christ to ask you, would you today fill this hunger in my life in a way that only you can? Maybe it's physical bread. Maybe it's more. And maybe for you, you can't really pray that because you don't have a relationship with God until now. Maybe you're at a place where you're so tired of your sin and the effects of it, you're ready just to lay it down the best you can. And you already believe that God is a God who created you and who loves you. And you already believe that Jesus, God, came and he died for you to pay for your sin debt, to restore relationship with the Father. And not only did he die, but he also rose again. And you believe in your heart, you really do. Everything the Bible says about Jesus, what hasn't happened yet is that you haven't yet made that transaction where you've laid down your life and trusted Christ. And trusted Christ alone. You know what? Today you can do that. When you pray a little prayer, it's not magical. That reveals the trust of your heart where you say, Lord Jesus, I know that I need you. I am hungry, and I am thirsty, and I am sinful. And today, Jesus, I trust that you are God and that you died, that you rose for me. And the best that I can, Lord, I lay down my sin today. I confess it, and I walk away. And I invite you to forgive me and to cleanse my heart and to cleanse my life and to save me and to take over. Help me to follow you, for it's in your name I pray. Amen.